Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Troll to the Wars. Now, uh, I need like a little siren or a little skinger or something, but but, but, but PJ, uh, book news... <laughs> breaking book news yeah we were just I'm, talking off air i'm the luckiest boy alive i <laughs> uh i managed to get hold of a copy of the uh special hero initiative re-release of jla avengers mm. do you want to set a, do you want to give us a bit of context around this uh, so as we've talked about before um very sadly george perez is now um of receiving end-of-life care, living in a hospice. He's he's in good spirits, from what I gather. He's getting a lot of visitors. I've seen even um, other comic creators visit him. Kurt Busiek visited him and posted on on Twitter about it, that they had a lovely catch-up and, and that he's, he's feeling good despite everything. Um, but to help raise money for George and his family, the Hero Initiative did a deal with Marvel and DC to do a limited re-release of JLA Avengers, the trade uh, with all the backup material that came in the big hardcover edition that DC put out ages ago that was very hard to find and very expensive. But this new edition is only limited to something like 7,000 copies, I think, um, like worldwide. So there was then a lot of people online going, oh my God, how am I going to get this? And yeah, they're, they're already scalpers and things, apparently. But I, I got really lucky. Basically, the day it was announced, it was in the evening over here in the UK. And first thing next morning, I phoned my local Forbidden Planet <laughs> and said, are you going to get this in? And they said, well, we've tried to order it. Whether we get it or not, we don't know because of how limited it is. But we'll put your name down. It's going to be list first come, first served. Um, You know, if we can get you one, we'll get you one. Mm. And I said, okay, thank you very much. And then thought... Probably not going to happen, but I've tried. And to be honest, the money's going to George and his family. It's not about me. I don't really mind if I don't get one. I've tried. If, if I do, lovely, great. And then um, Forbidden Planet phoned me this week, and they said, so you were second on the list. We had in one copy. The person who was number one on the list had put their name down in multiple places and have already got it elsewhere, so you can have this one. I was like, oh, oh wow. my God. So, like, the next day, sent my wife into Forbidden Planet to pick it up for me on her lunch break. And, yeah, so I've, I've managed to get a copy, and I could not be happier. It's it's genuinely one of my very favourite comics ever. I love it. So, yeah. Well, just, I mean, can you just remind me, then, when... 
I'm trying to cast my mind back and I'm struggling. When did this series come out? I think originally? it was like 2003, 2004. I think it is almost 20 years old. Which is it really? God. Feels ridiculous to me, but yeah. Because I remember, because we, we definitely talked about this before, but having, at the time when I was collecting Avengers United, I believe yes. it was called. Yeah. Which was the Panini UK uh, collector's editions, if you will, monthlies. Um, they were always kind of like behind the American comics. But I remember when JLA Avengers came out, uh, they actually jumped right up to publishing it contemporaneously with what was coming out in America, which was kind of like unheard of at the time. Yeah, I think it was like one month behind or something, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was wild. But that also caused problems because issue four was delayed by four or five months because George Perez got RSA doing the cover to issue three and hadn't been able to finish issue four. Uh, so, But it meant that Avengers United then, because they were so caught up with it, they couldn't print it issue four and they i think they jumped back and did a load of classic avengers reprints because they also didn't want to go into continuing the modern series at the time that they were doing so like they went back and did i believe it was the cree they did pretty much the cree scroll war in its entirety i think I think the cree scroll war and i think they also then did an issue that covered like issues 197 to 200 of avengers that george perez drew with the whole the horrible story when miss marvel um gives birth to Marcus and then goes to live with him. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Back when, back when she was going as um, going by. Um, well, I, no, sorry. Around that period in Avengers, uh, she was Warbird, wasn't she? In JLA Avengers, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird actually because I, I I know obviously Captain Marvel now, but for the longest time, to me, she was always Warbird. It was that that thing, wasn't it, where she I did first encounter her as Miss Marvel. Uh, but that was in the 90s X-Men cartoon. And then oh God, yes, yeah. when I was getting into comics, she was binary. Yes. And she was running with the Star Jammers? With the Star Jammers, yeah. And then Busick's Avengers run started. And in that first issue where they bring in like everyone who's ever been an Avenger, mm -hmm. she turns up in the Miss Marvel outfit, but as binary, but then changes her name to Warbird because um, she's after a fighter jet or something. And I think at the time, like late 90s, early 2000s, they thought, oh, Miss Marvel, that's not a very good name anymore. We need something cool. So they went with Warbird. And then like mid-2000s, they went, actually, let's call her Miss Marvel again, because that is the better name. I'd, I'd always kind of assumed it was because, because Marvel historically can't seem to settle on a character using like Marvel in their title. Yeah. You know, God, there's been so many Captain Marvels over the years. Like, um, you know, I still think of um, Avengers Forever, where you had, uh, was it Janice running Janice Vell, yeah, yeah. The son of Marvel. I liked his costume, kind of like stupid as it was, with like, you know, his, his whole face being yeah. uh, the star field, which I, I really loved. Yeah, but, I enjoyed his solo series as well. I thought it was really good. Was that when he had the glorious 90s costume, where he had like a jacket? And, uh, no, no, that was the the Avengers Forever costume was his solo oh. series. Oh God, no, that no, because he he originated in the nineties. Yeah, where he had now the only, the only reason I know this is that I own um, I own this big hardback book which I've mentioned before, which my parents got me as a kid, and I loved it, and it was called something like 
Oh, I, I'm, I can I can just see it out the corner of my eye, and I can't. No, I think it was just called Marvel Universe, mm. and it was like a written kind of. It wasn't even like a chronological history. It was just kind of like one chapter was all about the X Men. One chapter was all about the Fantastic Four. Right. Um, but they did a whole chapter about like Marvel's cosmic heroes, and I, I just love this. I can still remember the smell of the pages. And right at the end of the section, bear in mind, this was written like in the 90s, late 90s, um, there was a tiny little thumbnail image of issue one of the 90s Captain Marvel, which was starring Genis, the son of Marvel. And if the cover, if you can picture it, PJ, is him on a on a moonlit night, standing and pouring out like a beer, like onto the ground oh as above him like uh, the ghostly image of Marvel fills the sky hmm. and he's got the most gloriously 90s costume like, I remember the costume from a couple of cameo appearances and I think a time travel adventure then in his later series oh yeah God. and doesn't like at the end of Avengers Forever when they make it back to the present day spoilers everyone time travel um, that's when Rick gets Rick Jones gets fused with him in the present day yeah, yeah. So that it's it's a future version of him from the Avengers in Avengers Forever, who's like a more experienced hero. But then when he has to fuse with Rick Jones to save Rick's life, and then when they come back to the present, Rick is actually somehow fused with the present day version of Genis. And that was then the kickoff point for the new series from the late nineties and early two thousands that I really enjoyed. Um where he had that that new costume and yeah. Yeah, How he's many- an interesting character. How many um, Marvel boys have we had? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> Way too many. Because there was the um, original... I don't know if he was the first, but there was like the Marvel boy from like the 50s even. Yeah, who who's now running from... around as Agents of Atlas. Yeah, changed his name to the Uranian, didn't he? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and got like a new costume which had like a great big fishbowl helmet on, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I kind of always assumed that they changed Ms. Ms. Marvel's name at the time to Warbird. I kind of assumed because another character was running around calling themselves Marvel something. No, I don't know if they were because I know it wasn't Justice at one point was Marvel Boy as well, wasn't he? He was, yes. And then he changed his name to Justice. Um Oh, actually, Genis, Captain Marvel would have been around, so maybe Miss Marvel... It could have been they didn't want Carol to have the Miss Marvel name while they had Genis running around as Captain Marvel. Maybe so. Also around that time, well, maybe I can't tell if... Maybe it was a little later, but I know when Claremont came back to X-Men again, he had uh, a Marvel girl running around who was Rachel Summers. Yes. Yeah. So many Marvels. <laughs> yeah, and now I think you've only got Carol as Captain Marvel and then uh, Kamala Khan as Miss um, Marvel. I think they're it's the only ones now. It's certainly cleaner. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's certainly a little easier to keep track of. Yeah, Genis has become one of those characters who they killed off and who stayed dead, which is wild to me. Kind of rare, isn't it? Yeah, I think they, they killed him off in the pages of Thunderbolts when that relaunched in the early 2000s. And ah. yeah, he hasn't uh, he hasn't popped up again. 
And I guess also there was uh, Morrison's um, Marvel oh, Boy. Oh boy, yeah. Who was kind of fun. That was with um, J.G. Jones. Yes. Doing the yeah. artwork. And that was... I, it's a fun little mini-series. It's, it's, it's very weird. It's, it's trying to be edgy. And it kind of succeeds. It, it's kind of fun. But I've only read it once, and I don't really remember it that well, to be honest. It's got some weird concepts. Like, there's um, the bad guy is quite fun. Classic Morrison, insane villain, like Doc Midas. Mm. And he's running around in a vintage Iron Man suit of armor. I remember that. Yeah, like a Mark I. Yeah, like the gold. And But he's also, he's obsessed with gaining the Fantastic Four's powers. Yeah. He's a really weird character, actually, come to think of it. Yeah, and I know that that Marvel boy has turned up again then as one of the young Avengers, hasn't he? Yeah, I honestly think that character probably would have died a death if it hadn't been for... Well, no, I'm being an idiot, aren't I? Because Bendis picked him up. He was Did running he? around... Yeah, he. I think after the Morrison series, I think the character just kind of languished for a bit. Like, he wasn't really doing much. And then Bendis brought him into the Dark Avengers. Oh, Yes. Yes, he did. I remember that now. Yeah. But then that didn't really stick either. And then I think um, when Gillen and McKelvey took over Young Avengers, he, he popped up in he popped yeah. up in that, which is probably the most interesting thing anyone had done with the character since the, the original Morrison series. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't. I read all of Bendis's Avengers, be they dark, new or mighty. <laughs> and I don't <laughs> really remember much of what he did with, <laughs> with Marvel Boy. Um. Uh, PJ, I, I, I have to say, before I forget, I finally saw The Suicide Squad. Oh, I still haven't seen it yet. It's really good. Ah, oh, good. I want to see it. I just haven't got around to it. I really liked it, actually, more than I thought I was going to. Uh, and yes, Starro is absolutely delightful. Is it everything I want? It's, I was thinking of you while we were watching it, going like, <laughs> PJ will love this. <laughs> oh, i got to get around to it. i got to get around to it. I have seen The Batman. I enjoyed that. It was a bit too oh. long. I didn't think it really stuck the ending. The The last act was could have been edited down, shortened. I think they went past the natural end point of the story. But I enjoyed it. It was good. And I think Robert Pattinson's a very good Batman. Interestingly, you are... Now, I should give a shout out to my friend Sim, who is the one who uh, got us, the Suicide Squad, to watch. Mm. And he also said exactly the same... So thank you, Sim. And he also said the exact same thing about the Batman movie. He enjoyed it, he felt it ended, and then it carried on for another, like, 40 minutes. Yep. Yep. What I liked about it, though, is you could tell that they were taking influences from, like, all versions of Batman. There were things that were influenced by other movies touches that i noticed that i felt really were influenced by the animated series obviously oh, lots wow. of stuff from the comics and then sequences that felt very much like the arkham games to me with batman running around taking down groups of thugs in the shadows and things that i, I was like yep you've played the arkham games that's cool so do you think pj casting your expert eye over over this mm. uh generally people seem to like robert patterson as the, yep. the batman i like him as an actor i think he's he's very good yeah um, there's undoubtedly going to be more, but yeah. is is this a foundation to build a a new JLA around, or like a you know what do you think they'll do with it? 
it's weird because I was watching it and I was thinking, yeah, it, it feels more grounded than some of the Batman we've had. Like it feels more grounded than the Keaton ones. Um, and obviously then Kilmer and Clooney, definitely. It doesn't feel as grounded in reality as the Nolan films to me, though. It sort of mm. sits in this weird in-between place. And I did watch it feeling like, do you know what? I think I could see this Batman working with a Superman. Mm. And I think that working together, world's finest, not versus, not fighting each other. I don't want to see that. But I think I could see Robert Pattinson's Batman working with a Superman. And yeah, then having his own little side adventures in Grim and Gritty Gotham, but also maybe having the odd odd case with the League. Um, He wouldn't feel out of place to me. It's getting a bit hard to keep track of the supermen nowadays, isn't it? Because obviously you're watching, oh, is it? Superman and Lois. Yeah. Yeah. So you're watching that. Where of course Which I'm still really enjoying. It's, it's very, very good, I think. But there's also, they've just cast a Superman, a Batman and a Wonder Woman for Peacemaker. Is oh, have correct? they? I haven't mm. read that. Okay. Yeah, it's, I, I've, I've, I, I'm sure someone listening might correct me, but I, I've seen kind of like stills, and I've seen like the the news announcements that um, obviously the Peacemaker series spin off of the Suicide Squad. And I should say, actually, John Cena is brilliant. <laughs> uh, he's one of the funniest parts of a movie. Uh, so again, yeah, we're we're at a point now where there's a there's a ton of Supermen running around. Um, although I guess like very much um, Spider-Man No Way Home yeah. has taught has conditioned the average movie-going audience now that multiverses are, are well, it's, it's just a matter of time, isn't it now? I think that they've sort of been dipping their toe for a while, comic book films and TV, where you had um, you had the Arrowverse version of The Flash played by Grant Gustin while you had Ezra Miller playing the same character in the films and then of course Ezra Miller cameoed in the TV Crisis on Infinite Earths the two flashes meet each other yeah there's a brief scene at the in the final episode where uh, Barry Allen crosses into a different universe and meets the Ezra Miller version of Barry Allen uh, in his film costume it was it was a nice little scene actually I really enjoyed it bloody so, hell yeah, so they've already done that. I've I've heard rumours. I don't know if this is going to happen. There might be no truth to this at all, but rumours that Grant Gustin is going to have a cameo in the Flash movie coming up as his TV version of the Flash, so they're going to meet again. But then you've also got... We've got the Spider-Men. You've, everyone knows that both Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton are in the upcoming Flash film as Batman as well. So, really? yeah, it's all, it's all happening. And since we now have Henry Cavill... Technically, still as Superman. I don't think they've said for sure they're going to do anything, but they haven't said they're not either. And there's always rumours that there's something moving. But is he uh, on retainer, so to speak? I think so, some kind of something like that. But at the same time as now, we've got the TV version in Superman and Lois with his own series. I can't remember the guy's name. Kid from Road to Perdition. Wow, I'm really upset that I can't remember his name now. Sorry, but uh, uh, not Tom Hanks, basically. No, his son in Road to Perdition is, is Superman on TV now. Um. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Tyler Hocklin. Cool. I'll, I'll, I believe you. I'll, t- I'll take your word for it. <laughs> the weird, the weird thing about the Flash movie is that this it's been delayed again. Yeah. Which is which is really weird to me because even before 
Or, you know, so when they cast Ezra Miller for Justice League, mm. and obviously, you know, it's hard to believe, but Justice League, the original cut, came out in 2016, I think. Really? Yeah, like it, it's older than you think. It's bloody hell. Bizarre. So I, I remember like that when when the DC Extended Universe was still new and fresh and they were very ambitious they were saying like oh we've cast Ezra Miller as the Flash and we're going to do a Flash movie but over the very 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 troubled production period of Justice League and kind of beyond that after it came out I know for a fact the Flash went through three directors yes and I think about four scripts until I know Grant Morrison was brought in yeah wrote the as as far as I'm aware, the last version of the script. And then there's always talk about, oh, it's gonna be multiple universes, they're bringing back Michael Keaton as Batman. Then of course Spider-Man No Way Home comes out, kind of beats it to the punch. And then now they're saying it's been delayed again. Yeah. Which kind of makes me think Well actually it's been delayed until I think July 2023. Oh, that long. Wow. Yeah, it's been pushed back quite a bit. So kind of makes me think they're going bigger. Maybe. You know what I mean? I mean, it doesn't matter what they do. They've got Michael Keaton playing Batman in it. I'm going to see this film because <laughs> I love Michael Keaton's Batman. Those two movies are I love them so much. I think they're still probably my favourite Batman films. So I just want them to bring it out. I just want to see it at this point. Haven't they just... Isn't like Michael Keaton in a TV series now as elderly Batman? No, he's playing Batman in the Batgirl film that they're shooting at oh. the um, And there have been photos released of him on set in the Batman costume as well. Ah. Now, do you is is that the same elderly Michael Keaton Batman as will be in the Flash movie? The assumption is yes, but we yeah. don't know for sure. So definitely doing like a kind of Terry McGuinness mentor Batman Beyond kind of vibe, but with yeah. a Batgirl. Potentially, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Because and this is why I think this is generally why we don't do like a kind of showbiz roundup kind of thing of DC <laughs> products because they're very, very, very hard to keep track of. Because was there not also there was a Batwoman TV series? There still is. Is it still going? As far as I'm aware, I kind of gave up on it. To be honest, I lost interest. We watched the first season; it was okay. We watched about half the second season. I was just like, it's not going anywhere. It's not doing it for me. Um, and this is the Kathy yeah. Kane. Well, season one was, and then Ruby Rose quit and wouldn't come back. So now they've brought in... Oh, what's the character's name? Um, oh, not not Cassandra. No, no. Uh, she's a recent... She was only in the comics fairly recently. Um What's what's her what's her gimmick? Does she have a? a, th- a th- <laughs> Doesn't really. A, yeah. As Batwoman or as a, as a Batgirl or a. Bat, as Batwoman to replace Kathy Kane. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I can't remember her name. That's really bad. Okay, but a, a different Batwoman at least. Yes. 
Interesting. I mean, frankly, they've got enough alternate versions of characters to basically do Crisis on Infinite Earths on the big screen. Although I know, of course, they have done it on the small screen. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the small screen version of Crisis. It was a lot of fun. Mm. Brandon, Brandon, that had Brandon Routh in it, didn't it? As as elderly Superman. As Superman, yeah. Yeah, very Kingdom Come-ish. Yeah, he, he had that... Um the the logo the black diamond with just the line across it but other than that it was basically his superman returns costume and i uh, it was just so good to see him again i feel like he was slightly underused as superman in it i wanted to see more of him but he does get an amazing sequence where he has a he has a fight with the tyler hocklin superman and yeah <laughs> it was really good it was really really good ryan wilder is the the current batwoman on tv that's her name right is that the, the actor's name or the character's name? That's the character's name. God, I I am now okay. I'm I'm completely out of touch. I don't I I don't, yeah. don't even know the character. This is my my problem with the Batwoman TV show is I don't. It just feels like they're just trying to do Arrow again to a degree, and it, and early seasons of Arrow that I didn't enjoy. They weren't that much fun, and this isn't fun either. But it also doesn't. I don't know. It's trying to tiptoe around some of the Batman stuff too much, and then when it does bring in legacy batman characters they feel horrendously miscast and yeah you know it's just not quite working for me could i could i take a moment to recommend a superhero tv series which i think is the pinnacle of its craft you can miraculous ladybug i think is honestly if not the greatest superhero tv show ever made possibly the greatest piece of television ever made I, I don't even know what this is. Uh, I, I say this, I, I say it. okay, a bit of hyperbole, but I, I say it completely unironically. It's, it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> it's on it's on Disney Plus. Uh, if you've got it, you can get the entire four seasons in chronological order. There's some of it on Netflix, but they've kind of chopped and moved it around. It is a French kids superhero uh, a CGI animated series. Um, okay. And no word of a lie, if you were handing out awards for a show that perfectly executes what it was trying to achieve, <laughs> this would get gold. Okay. It's, it's, I'm saying it's not it's not especially earth-shattering, it's not going to change the medium, but if you just want a perfectly charming uh inventive creative surprisingly heartfelt superhero story that's a bit silly and it's for kids it's just brilliant i would i would wholeheartedly recommend it i'm gonna have to check it out it's uh yeah so it's it's uh it's french but it's uh, dubbed very well into english and multiple languages because it's becoming a global a global <laughs> phenomenon uh and it's about um two teenagers uh in paris uh there's marinette the scar and there's adrian uh the the, the other scar slash love interest and they are each given a magical item called a Miraculous, which allows them to transform into a superhero. So uh, Marinette becomes Ladybug and uh, Adrian becomes Chat Noir, because it's French. Yeah. Uh, but the gimmick is, is that they both go to the same school. They don't know each other's secret identity. <laughs> and Marinette is wildly in love with Adrian. But Adrian, as Chat Noir is wildly in love with Ladybug. Right. So it's a love square, <laughs> but with two people. Yeah. 
And then they have a villain called Hawk Moth who can turn random civilians into supervillains. Okay. And, and it's just like every episode's like 22 minutes. It's four kids. Lucy and I are watching it right now and we're working our way through the second season. And honestly, there are episodes and uh, we were watching it last night and that's when I, I made the... I just said, apropos of nothing, this is the greatest show on television. This this is amazing. So that's my recommendation. I'm going to check that out. You have sold that to me. It's so good. I, I, now, I'm, full full disclosure, there are some absolute stinkers. There's <laughs> there's like a musical episode in season two, which is absolutely excruciating. But like when it gets to season two and they're, they, they get more ambitious with their storytelling, it's just absolute genius like if 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 a if a genuinely there's not a grim dark bone in its body hmm. it's just being colorful and entertaining and surprisingly clever it's it's brilliant i i love it absolutely love it okay cool yeah i will definitely look into this it's very silly <laughs> i like silly uh no pj we like grim dark on this on this show that's why we're here um but PJ, speaking of which, um, or I, I think, um, what the hell are we reading? Where are we? What's happening? Well, yeah, we are halfway through Crisis Times 5, a JLA story which pits the Justice League against Forgotten League of Triumph and a genie from the fifth dimension wreaking havoc on, havoc on Earth. There we go. And uh, Captain Marvel and the Justice Society are also there. Uh, yes. I, that's, I was going to say, like... Is there anything any more to explain? Could we go into more detail? But no, I think that is actually a perfect summation of everything that's happening. <laughs> oh, and um, the quintessence popped up very briefly. Yeah, but I don't think we're going to see him again. We see them very. Don't we see them on the very, very last page? Spoilers of this entire story. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. So basically, uh, just picture five like bearded, mostly bearded, kind of cosmic beings watching the whole thing happen. Yeah, they're not really important to the story. But when last we kind of left off, um, like all good stories uh, where you've got a massive cast of characters, uh, because we've got, as you said, PJ, all these guest characters from a JSA, uh, our heroes are kind of divided and like grouped off and some have gone on a mission here and some have gone on a mission there. Uh, but the biggest, I suppose, most immediate crisis is that uh, now there are two genies who are about to kind of throw down in the middle of uh, it's Keystone City. Yeah. And reality is literally kind of bending around them. So buildings are coming alive. People are turning into ice cream and melting. Uh, it's absolute madness. Yes. One is the blue genie, Lux, who uh, is working with Triumph. And the other is the pink genie, Yiz, who is comes out of the pen, uh, <laughs> used to belong to Johnny Thunder and is now in the hands of a child named JJ. I just realised, like, anybody... If this is anybody's first episode... Oh, don't start here. <laughs> I, I know, but also, like, there's absolutely no way of telling if you and I are having some kind of dissociative moment it's and possible. just talk, talking in tongues <laughs> or whether we're actually recounting a Grant Morrison story here. It can be two things. It's just, it's just when you said, like, oh, yeah, and the genie, which came out of the pen, and I was like, <laughs> this is my life. <laughs> Decisions I made. To do this. <laughs> decisions I made have led me to this point. <laughs> um, but PJ, should we should we dive back into this madness? Let's do it. Uh, okay then. Um, so we cut to the moon. 
which is actually surprisingly normal for a JLA yep. adventure, where poor Steele, who has literally only just turned up today, he wasn't supposed to be in today, uh, and he's getting, um, uh, um, I think as they might say in comics, uh, the living tar beaten out of him. Yeah, yeah, he sort of falls into panel, his arm has been torn open, his his cape is in shreds, and Triumph is just wailing on him, and yeah, it's it it's the most damage I think I've ever seen Steel take. Yeah, it's actually kind of like, we've seen Steel beaten before, but to see somebody like, well, essentially just peeling his armour open, like mm. like a like a tin can, is, is, is kind of shocking, actually. Yeah, and Triumph is spending the whole time saying, "Oh, people love you, but they don't even remember me. Nobody cheers me. Oh, it's it's just not fair." And it's the petulance of Triumph that really gets my goat. Yeah, it's like saving because he because he says, you know, it's like you know, Mike's team. We got to go on adventures. We got. To, he's kind of acknowledging that he did some good. You know, he beat some bad guys and stuff, but it, it seems to mostly rub him the wrong way that no he didn't get to do it in in front of a crowd yeah he really just wanted the attention and to look good and he's never really in his eyes he's never really had that opportunity yeah yeah and we 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 turn over we had a double page spread of steel being punched through the justice society display case his armor crackling with electricity and his his helmet is literally ripped in half exposing most of his face and He's scattering the JSA statues, and yeah, Triumph does not care. It's a great, it's it's an it's a great picture, by the way. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it when I, I think if it's something like um, Howard Porter does very well, it's uh, drawing uh, quite chunky, uh, powerful-looking armor, which is he, he gets plenty of opportunities to do this, and it's nice that he has a double-page spread to really go into detail. Yes. Because sure. when when Howard Porter is flexing, it it's great. Like it it looks amazing. And and I think he's flexing here. And this is also where we get the title and credits. So it's Crisis Times Five Part Three, Worlds Beyond. Grant Morrison, writer. Howard Porter, penciler. John Dell, inker. Ken Lopez, letterer. Pat Garrahy, colorist. Heroic Age Separations. Tony Bedard, associate editor. Dan Raspler, editor. And this is also now where we get our roll call. And there's some interesting things about the roll call this issue. The first thing. It starts with Superman. We're not going to see Superman in this issue because he's been knocked unconscious by Captain Marvel in the last issue. <laughs> but he made the roll call. I like, I like, um, and the look on Superman's face in this little kind of, um, in this little kind of thumbnail lineup, is kind of the facial expression of somebody who has been left out of this issue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he kind of just looks a bit like. Ugh. Second is Plastic Man, who we're also not going to see in this issue because he was turned to stone by looks in the last issue. Good memory. I've already got the two confused. Yep. Uh, next is Aquaman, who we haven't seen yet anywhere yet in this story, but apparently he's going to show up here. Um, then we get Zauriel, Green Lantern, Huntress and Flash, which is fine. Then we get, get some of the JSA, so Flash, JJ Thunder, Wildcat, Sentinel, Hippolyta, Spectre, and then Captain Marvel. Another character is going to show up in this issue that I think should have been on the roll call where Superman or Plastic Man are. But we'll get into that. Uh, can, I, can I just say, you know how when a superhero has been in a really intense fight mm. and it's always uh, represented in the artwork by their costume being torn? Mm -hmm. 
you know what I mean? It's like okay, you know Spider-Man's really desperate because his he's covered in rips and tears or you can see his chin normally. Oh my god, yeah. When you see Spider-Man's chin, you know things are like <laughs> kicking off. Um happens for Fantastic Four, you know, to Spider-Man, to anybody who likes running around in Lycra. Now, ironically enough, Superman, who is invulnerable, you'd think this would happen more often to him, but generally his cape tends to get kind of like blown off or burnt off, but his main costume tends to survive. Yes. Wolverine, who isn't invulnerable but can heal, you know, often gets burnt, set on fire. You'll often see a topless Wolverine running around. Yeah. Now, poor Steel here has had half his mask, like, literally peeled off. And I don't know how the incredibly advanced technology of Steel's armour works, but we can see from this picture that apparently the metal faceplate is is maybe like it's maybe it's smart metal it's kind of fluid because it seems to be like perfectly molded to his lips yes you know now what kind like he's not bleeding at all <laughs> what i'm saying is i'm glad i don't want to see steel bleeding but like if someone ripped half a form-fitting sheet of metal off your face with the strength of triumph, I'm kind of amazed he's still got a skull left, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's just his armor's that good. I suppose, yeah. It's like um, it's like in a car crash, isn't it? You want to see a damaged car, because that means the interiors are safe. Yes. Yeah, it's like a crumple zone, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Steel anyway, crumple zone. My point is, I like, I like a superhero costume where it's like a mask, but it somehow miraculously only covers the skin, so you can still see their teeth. I'm thinking Steel here. I'm also thinking when Doctor Strange used to run around in a blue Wongsy. Yep, yep. Again, uh, Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond, yes. And again, completely impossible fabric or technology, but I love that. Yeah. So in case we were wondering, when Steel is a robot man, those are his real teeth. <laughs> and apparently the metal goes up uh, over his lips and under, under his gums. So I don't know how comfortable that is. Yeah, that makes me feel itchy just thinking about it. Don't like it. Can I say, I don't like Skeel's costume in JLA Avengers. Yeah, when he's just like got a hat on, but you can see his face. Yeah, it's a bit weird that. I don't know why they went away from this kind of classic look. I know. Anyway, I'm sorry, that was a massive diversion from me about superhero costumes. (laughs) But we turn the page, and now Triumph is gloating. He orders Gypsy and the Ray, who he's got mind-controlled, to go and grab Steel and lock him up somewhere. And then he says, it won't be long. They're going to chant our names in the streets, and then I won't have to control your minds anymore. You'll just agree with me, apparently. But the Ray picks up Steel's armour, and Steel isn't in it. He's he's just kind of slipped out of his armor like a like a like a bug like a bug shedding its skin. Yeah. But also, this is again classic hubris from Triumph. Like things were kind of going his way if he'd just kind of been a bit more thorough. He, maybe he would have triumphed, PJ. Hey, because his name's Triumph. Oh yeah, that yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
Of course, he does point out that um, maybe he's a little on the back foot because the Watchtower's security systems are flooding his hypersensors. So, yeah, like the ability to, um, I don't know, see atoms is, you know, currently uh, eluding him. So he's like, let's let's deal with those, you know, first, and then we'll go catch Steel. Yeah, and, and makes the mistake that so many supervillains make and utters the immortal line, without the armour, he's nothing. And we do cut to, um, well, directly below Triumph and in like a, a ventilation shaft a good old, or, or a, a Jeffrey's tube. And uh, yeah, we see Steel, uh, you know, kind of, Naked, although we later see he's wearing boxes, uh, kind of painfully crawling his way uh, through through this uh, little kind of escape hatch. Basically, it it always surprises me that that he doesn't have like a, a like a suit between his skin <laughs> and the armor because that must chafe. It's got to be a bit pinchy, right? Yeah. <laughs> although this is apparently, you know, his his faceplate is so sophisticated that it can be metal, but it can also kind of like flow with his muscles and like the movement of his cheeks. So maybe it's like, it's like, it's like a, it's like wearing silk. Maybe the <laughs> armor is so sophisticated. It's like wearing a cloud. It's just really comfy. Oh, I like the sound of that. Um, but uh, Triumph, uh, never want to miss an opportunity to just be a colossal prick. Um, starts uh, just melting uh, the JLA waxworks. Yeah, he, he, Asks who makes them? Is it Superman or Flash? And I got to imagine they just send off to Madame Two Swords or something, because I don't I don't think Waxworks are in in their wheelhouse really. Uh, the league I don't I haven't seen them make them before. But while he's ranting, he says, "Oh, let's go see how the genie's doing. We need to make sure that the threat is enormous before we save the day." Uh, Steel carries on crawling through the ducts. He says, "Only seven hundred yards to go, one step at a time." So we cut back to Keystone City. And hats off to the co- the colouring team here because we we just have two gigantic glowing beings of lightning, one blue, one pink, just punching the hell out of each other. And um, the JSA, I can can only look on, just go like, what the absolute hell is happening? Um, which I think is fair to be honest. Yeah, as they say, they've they've lost Green Lantern. He's been sucked into the fifth dimension. Plastic Man's been turned to stone, and the genies are going crazy. And Wildcat says, "We need more muscle. Do something to JJ." And JJ says, "What? I'm 15 years old. Bleep bleep bleep. A superheroes. Know what I'm saying? I have zero qualifications." Uh, to which Huntress, in a very small voice, says, "The ch- this child is in control of that. You know, <laughs> yeah. poor, poor Huntress just having a really really bad day." basically <laughs> but we also see that in this weird way where the thunderbolt is kind of almost godlike in its power but needs like a, a human to like guide guide it in a way uh because yeah it, it's it's kind of you know losing it's panicking so it's it it, it asks jj to 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 help it it has to save a magic word which I guess will power it up. Yeah, and as it as it sort of shouts for JJ to help, that looks just sort of shatters it into pink glass shards, and JJ just shouts, "Oh, he's killed him!" What what's the word? He, does, he still hasn't quite figured it out. But Hippolyta, who's a calming influence for everybody, is is here, and she just explains what Thunderbolt is, and that 
JJ's not the first person to wield it. And by the way, the word is say you, C-E-I-U, not, not, you know, pronounce which, the same, spell different. Which now, PJ, you are the master of fifth dimensional backwards speak, but as that is the reverse of Yitz. Uh, yitz. YZ, Z-U, 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 but yeah, as the big blue genie kind of gloats, JJ raises his magic pen and screams, say you, and then a lot of expletives, and clicks the pen, and we get a big flash of pink lightning. And uh, and then we get a, a, an even bigger, like colossal bolt of blue light of pink lightning descending from the heavens, um, as uh, the 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 thunderbolt kind of uh, repeats that very vague command, which is kick that big blue expletive deleted expletive deleted. <laughs> and I do love Hippolyta saying here, you you have to be very specific in how you phrase your command. <laughs> As she and Wildcat just stand there looking a bit surprised. Uh, so we cut. Uh, you know, we've been on the moon. We've been in Keystone City. Now we're in the astral boundary, which I think we established, PJ, is a region of the uh, immaterial planes, uh, where Zariel and Sentinel mm-hmm. are flying across the living, breathing world, which has been assembled uh, around the spectre the spirit of Gog's wrath. Once again, a sentence that I don't think has ever been uttered in the history of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And they're basically commenting about how perfect this prison is, that it's ingenious. They're up against a twisted but brilliant intellect because they cannot just break the spectre free without killing all the life that now exists on him. But they do have a vague plan as they realize time does seem to be moving a little bit more quickly here than 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 in the real world the creatures the little ape creatures that they found there are already sort of starting to evolve a little bit and and stand on two legs yeah and they they look like um when we first saw them they look kind of like uh koalas mm. like red koalas um but yeah for whatever reason the uh the uh yeah, but time just kind of works a little differently here. And in that weirdly defined way that the Sentinel's powers work, like he's a he's kind of like a, a proto-Green Lantern. He just commands the green flame. And um, he can use the flame to advance time. So Zariel's a little shocked because he's like, but if we accelerate, you know this this civilization to destruction. Then their their lives. You know these living creatures will have lives that only last kind of seconds. And Sentinel just points out like they they won't know that. Like we'll you know time will pass normally to them, but we can just we can end this world now. And if we don't, billions may die on Earth. So it's like a, a fair a fair trade off really. Yeah, and I do love that that sort of moral quandary that they're in they're like well we just we have to accelerate this and the, even though as sentinel says these creatures won't realize that's what's happened and that's what's happening they still feel guilty about it because they're heroes although sentinel is a lot more pragmatic shall we say yes w- willing to willing to make the difficult choice here which i guess is like 
particularly when the JSA reform, because uh, they have their series, uh, quite a long-running series for after mm. this. Wasn't Sentinel the leader? Yes, I think so. And I, well, I do, I do love this final panel. I should say, which shows Sentinel kind of like rising off the ground as this like pillar of green flame kind of surrounds him. Um, that that just looks amazing to me. It's beautiful. It's a it's a beautiful panel, and then I think the next page is lovely as well. It's got some some stunning dialogue and art here because it's just they retreat to a nearby hillside to watch the rise and fall of civilization. And Sentinel says it took them by the time they get back to the mountains, ten thousand years have passed, <laughs> and an advanced city has sprung up. Half an hour later, Zariel decides to go and have a look, see how things have changed, and they build a temple around him because he's just a statue to them. I swear, I, I you now this is going to be the worst anecdote in the, in, in the world. But what this story came out in 1998, mm. I think, or maybe just into 1999. I haven't got. Oh, I do have my spreadsheet up. Hang on, what am I talking about? This issue came out in June 1999, and I, you know, I read this and I loved it. I thought it was very, very cool. And I swear, quite recently. I heard about another more modern sci-fi franchise which basically did everything we've just seen in these few pages. Oh, okay. And people were talking about how it was really, really clever. And I was thinking to myself, Grant Morrison did it first. Yeah. (laughs) It's not a competition. It's not a competition. But yeah, this obscure little uh, JLA comic. Yeah, brilliant little idea here. (laughs) Yeah, and it's the image of them built like worshipping Zauriel. And I, I also wonder how long did it take him to walk to the spot that they built the temple around him? And <laughs> so for them, he was just like in this street for thousands of years. And then like a few thousand years later, he's a few feet down the road or... I guess so. Yeah. Although I, I have to assume the temple... Well, I guess like looking at these two panels, it's like in the first panel, they're building a temple around him. And, yeah. the, and the beings around him kind of look like... Um, greco-roman philosophers Mm. but then in the next panel he's still in the middle of this like uh uh plinth they've built under him but now everyone looks like a kind of cyber cyberpunk kind of reject with like tech headphones and stuff but as morrison (laughs) says in the kind of captions it took um seven seven hundred and fifty years for him to say a word yeah the temple had already crumbled by the time he opened his mouth and then, unfortunately, they do have an issue because the creatures have discovered how to extract energy from the spectre as a nuke goes off in the palm of the spectre's <laughs> left hand. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, the final panel is just kind of Sentinel and Zauriel watching out as, as Sentinel says, and all we can do now is sit and wait for this little world to end. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, I don't know, kind of like a, a slightly bleak outlook for yeah. for any civilization, really. Um, yeah, it's it's some beautiful storytelling, and then but I love that it all all that's happened over the space of about half an hour, forty minutes, and then we just cut back to Keystone City, and we're still just watching these two genies fight. Civilizations have risen and fallen during the time span of this fight, John. This is what I mean about like this is kind of this is why I consider this kind of like the gold standard of superheroics, like. <laughs> You just this wild shit should just be happening all the time, <laughs> you know. Like, like two genies are fighting, and then meanwhile, 
just almost as like an afterthought. Uh, two heroes watch the entire rise and fall of a civilization within yeah. half an hour. Just yeah. delightful. This is this is this is bizarre superheroics to me, and I, and I love it. Yeah, but I also love that we open on this page with JJ shouting, "Hey, Thunderbolt nuked the expletive deleted!" And Hippolyta just says, "Young man, I don't mind saying I find your language to be lacking in subtlety." Um. <laughs> But yeah, and uh, she knows that the fight isn't over because essentially we're watching a fight between two, two essentially like two omnipresent, omnipowerful beings. So, uh, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, it's not it's not over yet. Um, so uh, as she points with her sword, uh, we see uh, a bunch of, well, I don't know, demons, for lack of a better yeah. word just punching the hell out of each other. And I do like that in this one panel. Uh, they're all, like, black. They're all, like, in perfect kind of black silhouette, but with different coloured highlights, you know, yeah. pink or blue. It's a really nice little touch. Yeah, and Luke is saying that Yuz's... <laughs> his master can't control him or command him, but Luke's master has given him power over the earth. Everything is his to bend and shape like clay. And Yuz just says says you as they sort of explode away in a puff of purple smoke because they're they're sort of mixing as they fight yeah it's not exactly a um well mm yes i was going to say it's it's not quite a say you is it pj so mm you know kind of um slightly mixed uh mixed mixed spelling there <laughs> Oh, but yeah, but on the next page, uh, the JSA uh, run for their life, uh, kind of trying to take JJ with them because uh, they're being bombarded by uh, like a like a like a fighter a fighter plane, like a kind of World War Two fighter, which itself is being pursued by a pink spaceship, like a, it's like a it's yeah. an A wing from Star Wars, but with an X wings wings attached to it. That. Bravo, PJ. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, they're just kind of like showering uh, blue and pink bullets like onto the ground. Um, yeah, it's chaos, basically. Yeah, yeah. And the Huntress and the JSA members are struggling to get away from it. Luckily, this is when the flashes turn up as Wally grabs JJ and Jay starts catching the blue bullets in his helmet. <laughs> Which is, I mean, if you're going to carry like a, a metal helmet, like what why not i suppose yeah yeah <laughs> i do i also i i think we talked about it a couple of uh episodes ago but i do like how the flashes aren't gone you know and they certainly you know they are very much involved in the fight but i just like how their considerable resource their considerable power is just being kept busy by you know having to protect people yeah like yeah, it's it's just um, it just makes sense. It it just makes perfect sense that the two most powerful members on the ground would be caught up doing this. Yeah, and Jay says, you know, we're struggling here, Wally. Can you get us some JLA backup? And Wally says he's been trying to call, but then looks creates like a, a barrier, liquid barrier that insulates them against the speed force and traps both flashes, and they're down. Yeah, and Huntress rightly points out that. You know, we can't do this on our own, on our own, sorry. Like, what's happening on the Watchtower? Where are the big guys when we need them? And then we cut to Gotham City, 
Uh, and now we haven't we haven't seen this fellow for a while. No, uh, but we have Batman standing on a on a pier, looking out over Gotham Harbor, and I I really love this little scene because this is just a, a weird little interaction that is quite rare for the book. Yes, yeah, and he's being he's talking to Oracle, so I really think Batman and Oracle should have been in the roll call instead of Superman and Plastic Man for this issue. <laughs> I guess you've got to keep them guessing. This yeah. is this is kind of I like this application of Batman Me too. in the series. Me too. Like, you don't have to have him all the time. Because frankly, his powers or lack of his you know, his abilities wouldn't be massively helpful in Keystone City. So this is again using a character effectively rather than just kind of like cramming him in because you want to have him. Yeah, and what's because what's this? Part three of a four part story and yeah. And- we're about halfway through the issue, and this is Batman's first appearance. But because, as well, they've they've mentioned Batman, they've talked about him working on the case as well. We felt his presence through the story, but this is his first physical appearance, and it it feels momentous and like an important moment. And also, I have to ask: um, there are quite a lot of ruined buildings in the background. And I kn- well, that's what I was going to say because I know in a few issues we're going to have a direct tie-in to no man's land yeah i guess it's happened at this point yes I, th- I think we are now during no man's land we see in which case it totally makes sense why batman might be a bit busy yeah yeah but but maybe this is kind of again batman can act like a bit of a bit of an asshole around the league sometimes like you know he's keeping a distance he's refusing to get too committed but like you know, he may have not respond. You know, he may not have been on hand when the first calls went out because he was busy. But like the moment things start escalating and really going to hell, he's there when they need him. Yes, I think it's. I think it's quite telling, actually. Yes, and I love this because Oracle's basically saying to him, "Look, Steel and Superman should be on the watchtower. They're not responding. Everyone in Keystone is stretched to the limit. We even with the JSA, we can't contain it." And Batman just says, "Yes, we can." I've been doing research, and it turns out Superman isn't the only member of the Justice League who's encountered an inhabitant of the fifth dimension. And then a big old Atlantean (laughs) submarine aircraft thing just bursts out of the water in front of him as Batman just says, ah, here he is now. Um, Yeah, so... um you know this massive ship appears, and who I should love be on the board? design of this ship as well. I just want to say I think it's it's lovely, it's quite unique, and yeah, it's brilliant. And you know, surely this is one of the perks of having a JLA membership card, because yeah, I mean, Batman's going through some stuff at the moment. Uh, he has his own problems to deal with, but you know, if he wants to put in a call to the King of Atlantis, <laughs> he's basically got him on speed dial. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Aquaman's there, and he goes, "Hey, hey, um, I've got a teleporter on board. You asked about Quisp? Question mark. Ooh. Now, PJ. Yeah. Funks of knowledge. Yeah. How familiar are you with Quisp? A little, a little. I think I did try and track down some of the old stories. Quisp hadn't appeared post-crisis at this point." He was he was like a, a, a I think the Aquaman comics had it that he was like a sea sprite who oh, okay. lived uh, in a his like his brother Quirk appeared as well or something but he he would 
basically he was Aquaman's friend. He he would go on silly Silver Age adventures with Aquaman and he, he like from the Kingdom of the Sea Sprites or something underwater. Right. Um but yeah, he hadn't appeared post crisis. <laughs> so this is this is Morrison's kind of intimate knowledge of bizarre Silver Age scuff rising yeah, to the top, basically. This is this is what Morrison would basically center his Batman run on was a lot of the weird Silver Age Batman adventures that he would sort of try and bring in. Sorry, that they would try and bring into post crisis continuity and have make sense in post crisis continuity. I feel like this was almost Morrison's first go at doing that with Quisp, uh, and, and and it goes to some interesting places. Uh, but also, I mean, kind of telling then that yeah, also in the pages of Morrison's Batman, uh. Batmite was was kind of reintroduced or kind of certainly acknowledged in a so-called quote-unquote serious Batman comic. Batmite had appeared since Crisis, I think. Uh, I've certainly, although, well, I don't know if that really counts. So I've, the, the world's funnest one-shot is a comic I recommend everyone check out if you can find it. It's It takes place in the Silver Age at first, and it's... Batman and Superman have just won a team-up victory against Lex Luthor and the Joker, and then Batmite and Mr. Mugsiezpiklik turn up and start arguing over who's better, and then they end up fighting through all the different continuities. So they go to, like, um, Golden Age Batman and Superman, they go to Dark Knight Returns, they go to Kingdom Come, and they go to post-Crisis era, but each section is drawn by the relevant artist, so the Dark Knight Returns pages are drawn by Frank Miller. Oh my God. Frank Miller draws Batmite and Mr. Muxiez Pitaluk getting involved in the Batman Superman fight from Dark Knight Returns. Alex Ross draws the Kingdom Come pages. And Seriously? Yeah, it's it's I think it was written by Evan Dorkin, but if you can find World's Funnest, I recommend it. It's it's such a bizarre, funny comic. It's great. So, so that was my introduction to Batmite. In that context, is Batmite also a fifth dimensional being? Doesn't really say. No, it, it, it's just Batmite. Yeah, yeah. The um, didn't um, Batman was it the Brave and the Bold, the cartoon series? Yes, that had Batmite in it. Quite yeah, it did. Yeah, and but in in that they sort of treated Batmite like I think Batmite was in one of the final episodes and and mm. was commenting on the series as a whole and very much breaking the fourth wall and some really meta jokes with Batmite in the Brave and the Bold. Oh God, and doesn't like. Doesn't the series finale again? Spoilers. Doesn't doesn't the series finale of the Brave and the Bold have like the most kind of almost like heartbreaking ending where it's so meta where like Batman acknowledges that the series is ending, yeah, and then just kind of addresses the audience and says something like, "But wherever wherever there's evil, I'll be there," yeah. or something like that. Like I'll always be there. It's like, oh wow. The Brave and the Bold is a great show. I think it's, it seems to be the forgotten Batman show these days, but I, I really like it. I think it was a lot of fun, The Brave and the Bold. Its version of Aquaman was hilarious. Oh, God, yeah. And, and yeah, and also like a Batman products franchise that wasn't afraid to be silly. Yeah. Yeah, but also surprisingly deep. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, let's cut to another absolutely fantastic environment. Uh, we're in the fifth dimension. Yeah, we are with Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, who is having problems. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, imagine um, a cosmic void 
uh, and then hundreds upon hundreds of I don't know, call them playing cards, call them comic panels, um, 2D pictures kind of tumbling through the void, all depicting Kyle, uh, who has, is kind of having a bizarre acid trip where he's been... Well, he's in the fifth dimension, PJ. This yeah. is apparently how it, how it what it feels like. Um, yeah, uh, he says, he's got his, his caption box says, I think I'm in the fifth dimension. And then Captain Marvel appears and replies to his caption box saying, you are in the fifth dimension, Green Lantern, but I am glad to have an ally. <laughs> and then Kyle is surprised to see Captain Marvel. He says, oh, Marvel? And his caption box says, oh, why couldn't it be Superman? Why'd I get this guy couldn't it be superman and then captain marvel says look i understand your reservations i'm sorry but i punched superman out and took his place so the caption boxes i guess are appearing physically captain marvel can read them (laughs) now is it standard knowledge in the superhero community that captain marvel is well is billy batson i think it is to some people kyle knows um I think he certainly met Captain Marvel in a trade I've got. I can't remember if he met Billy Batson, but it's like some of them are a little careless with their identity with other superheroes. It's like how everyone on the league knows Kyle is Green Lantern, but it's supposed to be a secret identity. Uh, Right, okay. I guess like Kyle, I can imagine Kyle just introducing himself as Kyle to everybody on the watch now. Yeah. I mean, they're superheroes. Of course you trust them. But I like his little, you, you punched out Superman, and then his caption box next is, cool. <laughs> um, this is very, um, this is very Morrison. Yes. Um, I'm thinking of um, uh, Animal Man in the 80s, where, yeah. you know, we, we see a, a comic book character's, you know, consciousness expand to the point where, you know, upon realizing they're in a comic book, they can step outside of a panel, you know, they can essentially quote unquote time travel by stepping from one panel into another, that sort of thing. Um, I'm thinking also of, um, oh, uh, Morrison, uh, some of the weird stuff they did in um, Multiversity, mm. where you had Captain Atom or Captain Adam, depending on what you want to call him, aka not Dr. Manhattan, <laughs> kind of considering reality as being like a comic book because you can flick forwards in time, backwards in time. You, the reader, are godlike looking down on these beings, and yet from their perspective, there's only one timeline moving in one direction. So, yeah, this is a brief history of the universe via <laughs> comics, by, via Morrison, basically. But I love the idea as well that because they're in the fifth dimension, obviously there's no way for us as comic readers, our brains to process what the fifth dimension would look like. So instead it it just flattens Kyle and and Captain Marvel and makes them two-dimensional, like more so than normal. And you get this this lovely panel where they... Kyle doesn't know where they are or, or, or anything, and Captain Marvel says, oh, so you haven't met our host. And then these two giant hands sort of reach into one of Kyle's panels and start trying to pull him out of them. So his upper torso becomes three-dimensional while his legs are still two-dimensional, and Captain Marvel's shouting, you five-dimensional coward, at the hands. I love that Captain Marvel takes the time to call call this this character a five-dimensional coward i know it's brilliant he's the big red cheese and i love it he's the big red cheese it's amazing um 
And yeah, so again, Kyle has shuffled like a deck of cards. Um, you know, uh, this 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 being with with big green gloves is saying, you know, you are of less substance than the shadows on my wall. I move freely through time and hyper time, which is another thing which Morrison comes back to repeatedly. Mm -hmm. I would say. Batman: The Return of Bruce Wayne talks about hypertime a yep. lot, um, and yeah, and we finally see the face of this being, uh, which is um, a, a great big red-eyed, white-haired, pixie-esque kind of being, but who also just have tongues and tongues of heads, like flowing like water. Basically, um, it's really weird. Yeah, and he's he's folding Kyle up into like a concertina, how he used to with a kid, maybe fold a bit of paper several times so you could open it up like that. And then, and I think this is quite a subtle moment, but one that shows you just how powerful Captain Marvel is as he starts forcing himself up into five dimensions. His upper oh, torso yeah. becomes three-dimensional, but he's willing it himself as he reaches out to this being and shouts at him to stop torturing Kyle. I'd never picked up on that. That's a yeah, very, very good point, PJ. I'd never picked up on that. That's cool. Mm. I do love, I just want to say, I do love this classic Captain Marvel costume. Yeah, me too. I miss this version of Captain Marvel. I feel like the comics, I don't know, they, they, they've lost something in that character in the comics, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, oh, I saw some footage the other day of, um, it's an older game now, but the, um, the Injustice game series. Like, like the beat em up set in the DC universe. And of course, Captain Marvel or Shazam in that game has the new 52 costume. Yeah. Where for some inexplicable reason he has a hood. Like a like a constant kind of hood to his cape. Yeah. I oh it's just not clean. It's 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 quite messy, I think. I, I have issues with those games anyway, since the whole premise is Superman's gone evil and rules the world. Well, it's the classic thing, isn't it? It's the same. It's like it's retro engineering a story. It's like, well, we want a reason for everyone to beat each other up. Ah, Superman's too powerful. Ah, I don't like Superman. Let's make him evil. Yeah. Just always do that. Why do we keep doing this? Because uh, people are afraid of good things, I guess. I don't know. Oh, no. That's that's almost too profound, PJ. That's quite sad. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, getting away from the horrible, profound uh, existential statement of that, um, we 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 see. I, I, I guess the chaos has has kind of paused for a moment because Kyle and Captain Marvel are now like on a single sheet of paper. Yeah, as their host, quote unquote, makes themselves less complex, and they start to coalesce into one body. I guess. Yeah, and we've got this this weird sort of grey-skinned, red-eyed, as you say, pixie-type creature, but very malevolent-looking one. Says his description is Quisp, Q-W-S-P. So this is Quisp. It's just that when he said his name in the 50s and 60s, Aquaman heard it as Q-U-I-S-P, Quisp. Now, if you're Morrison and you're writing this, and you can somehow remember that Aquaman met an underwater sprite and and also that their name just happens to be quisp lot of consonants not many vowels like how happy are you it's 
one of my favorite ways that someone has reworked a Silver Age character while also not throwing that out the window because we get this this description here from Quisp who just says I, I thought I'd come visit your world see how my old pal Aquaman's doing and turns out he's changed a lot he's gone all grim and stuff he's he's not wearing the orange top he's got long hair he's lost a hand so I thought I should go grim as well and now I'm destroying your world <laughs> it's just such a simple encapsulation of how this character has changed without throwing it all out but such a brilliant one too well, yeah, and also, I guess, to like a, a fifth-dimensional being, like, deciding to be evil or deciding to be good is as easy as changing your form, which they can apparently do at will. So, yeah, yeah like, just a capricious god, basically, deciding to be malevolent. And also, just the very idea that the main bad guy in this story turns out to be this happy little imp from 50s and 60s Aquaman comics. It's stupid. Only comics could do this, and it's why I love comics as much as I do. <laughs> well, I guess my thinking now, then, is that if Yiz, a.k.a. the Thunderbolt, was trapped on Earth in a pen, which we, we know is the fact, um, does that mean that looks was an established character before this story i don't think so i think this is just looks's pen hadn't been found or mm. or what have you because this is what quisp says he he when he did go to see aquaman he also found that there were two princes of the fifth dimension looks and years trapped in the third so they're also royalty <laughs> like you do yeah <laughs> and for some reason um or, or you know, this is simply how our brains are picturing the fifth dimension. It looks kind of like an Acme Brothers cartoon yeah. sort of thing, like a like Felix the Cat, basically, <laughs> just slightly, slightly surreal, like yeah. a wacky version of a city. It's really odd. Yeah, and Quisp has a has a television, but the newsreader is also coming out of the television as they shout that it's war between the colours, that looks can never be yiz and yiz can never be looks, and it's war as a result. And Quisp says, see the mischief I have made, as he throws the bit of paper with Captain Marvel and Green Lantern on it away. Yeah, this is, again, uh, an odd idea of mischief, but there you go. <laughs> Well, and it's, again, it's grimdark mischief, isn't it? Remember, Aquaman's grimdark now, so Quisp oh, is grimdark too. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and I was going to say the times they are are changing, um, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're not because in a in a wonderful piece of Silver Age nonsense, <laughs> we have we have Captain Marvel and Kyle escaping the piece of paper as wonderful two-dimensional cutouts, like little paper dolls, yeah, having to slip out the window because they are two-dimensional bits of paper and can slip through a crack. And I love that part of the way to represent this is the, the way they've coloured it. You know how in some older comics, the colouring mm. is very old computer colouring. It's sort of, you can see the dots in there and that's how they've specifically coloured Green Lantern and Captain Marvel. Uh, just them. Everything else is coloured like, full colours normal but they look like they're from an old I don't know 70s or 80s comic or something and so these two tiny two dimensional paper cut out versions of Green Lantern and Captain Marvel 
face off against this bizarre acid trip kind of uh, Felix for Cat City as Kyle says, it's you and me against fifth dimension cap, but trust me man, in a world this crazy you are the guy I want on my side. <laughs> and Captain Marvel says, I guess that's a compliment. <laughs> now, how do we stop a war between two colours and save the universe? I also like, again, this is why, you know, he's the big red cheese. This is why I do really, really, really like Captain Captain Marvel, because he's the he's a child's idea of a hero or an adult. Doesn't necessarily mean he's childish, but he's everything an adult should be. So even I've... though Kyle is kind of like insulting him twice without thinking, he, Kyle's not being cruel, he's just being a bit kind of thoughtless. Um, yeah. Captain Marvel doesn't take offence. I think Captain Marvel is specifically a child's idea of Superman. Mm. Not just a child's idea of a grown-up, but a child's idea of that very specific grown-up. Yeah, he's, and you see, and that's something wonderful. I, I, I do. It's a shame that periodically, when these when reboots come around, you feel the need to go. Well, that's too cheesy. We can't do that, and you know, we get a slightly grimmer, grimier, badass Shazam or Captain Marvel from New Fifty Two. Because that definitely just went with the idea that when he turns into an adult, when he turns into Captain Marvel, he just keeps his mind. Which I know is kind of like an inspiration for the film, and I haven't seen the film, but people do say it's all right. Yeah, I've, I've heard good things. I haven't seen it yet either. But I do kind of just miss the idea that like he's just a, he just becomes a good, slightly cheesy guy, like yeah. a good a good man. I I wish that was enough. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Hey, but PJ, I mean, as our as our resident expert on kind of Star Trek, uh, do you want to talk about this this tube which uh, Steel is crawling through? It does. I feel like very much Porter has been inspired by like the Jeffrey's tubes from. I want to say Voyager rather than Star Trek: The Next Generation. I think the the cabling on here reminds me more of partially the original series, partially Voyager. But yeah, it looks a lot like a Jeffrey's tubes, which are the tubes they use to crawl around between decks on Star Trek to fix things that have gone wrong. And and is that the actual was that the actual kind of manufacturer's purpose of a Jeffrey's tube? It yeah. was to, for people to crawl around in. Yeah, just little spaces between decks where all the systems are and things so that you you've got places to go and work on them and fix things if you need to. Um but yeah, poor poor Steel, he's been crawling uh for quite a while. Uh and there's a little kind of sparkle of gold light in the tube ahead of him. And suddenly, um, our man sticks his head through the tube. Like, literally, just kind of, like, phases through the wall, which I guess he can do. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> and with no introduction whatsoever, he says, I cannot attack Triumph directly. He's invisible to my time senses. Superman is still suffering from the effects of Captain Marvel's blow. He will regain consciousness in 18 minutes and 37 seconds. And Steel is naturally confused. He's saying, are, are you answering questions I'm about to ask? What's what, Captain Marvel? My elbow's hurt. I just want to get to my workshop. And our man says, oh, I know. Good news. You're there. It's just below us. But we don't have much time. Someone has to die shortly. Thanks a bunch, I, <laughs> our man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess 
Well, I guess he helped warn them that this was coming. Yeah. But he's being spectacularly unuseful so far, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, uh, we're back in Keystone City and um uh, yeah, the you know, the these the JSA are kind of exhausted and you know, they're kind of holding their own. And Huntress points out, you know, we're still alive and we're still sane. I'd have gone crazy if it weren't for you two. When this is over, I want to join the Justice Society. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, and poor Huntress, I think she probably would have been a lot happier there. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And sadly, they've lost JJ. He's sort of run off, and then they look over, and he's staring into a big green glow. So they catch up to him, and oh no, Quisp is here. And he's just sort of sat cross-legged in the air, green energy glowing around him. And I love his introduction. He says, I am Aquaman's greatest foe. Probably the JLA's too. Yeah, it's like, it's a being that doesn't 100% understand how things work. It's just decided that's what he is. <laughs> yeah, it's like somebody who suddenly got into a hobby. And it's like, you know, bought all the kit, but doesn't know the ins and outs of it yet. And it's like, oh yeah. I'm I'm probably the best fisherman in the world. I own like twenty fishing rods. That's how it works, right? Yeah. Never caught a fish, but willing to try. <laughs> but he's he's um, put JJ into a catatonic state, which is a problem because that means they can't control the thunderbolt. And he basically says, if you really want to avert a war, no one can win. You have only one choice. So come now, show the child the meaning of true heroism. Which of you will give your life here and now to save your world? And you'd better hurry. And I was going to say the camera pans up, but it, well, I guess it does, PJ, to show. Oh, yeah, this is crazy, this panel. It's, it's amazing. Looks with the entire earth between his hands, getting ready to crush it. As Yiz is stood with the moon in one of his hands, it looks like he's about to throw it at Lux to stop him. And he says, no, you'll destroy everything. JJ, where are you? What do I do? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I guess kind of sucks to be living in kind of Europe and Africa, I guess, because you've got like a, a massive genie hand <laughs> kind of crushing you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's okay though because it's all fifth dimensional magic uh, and back on the JLA Watchtower Triumph uh, looks happy because he can hear uh, you know kind of like uh, you know news reports coming in saying uh, you know the JLA have been defeated unusual weather patterns you know he's like this is great this is my moment you know so um, you know hey guys time to swoop in and save the day basically yeah, like he says, the ultimate villain has beaten the combined forces of the JLA and the Justice Society, but Triumph is back, leading a new JLA to victory. And as he, the Ray, and Gypsy stride towards the teleport bay, they walk towards the door. But on the other side of that door, unseen, Batman and Aquaman are waiting to ambush them. I absolutely love this final picture. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh this has stuck with me for years. Like, um, it's it's just, yeah, God, it's like Batman looks pissed. <laughs> he does. Like, yeah, it, oh, I don't know. I I'm really finding it hard to articulate how much I love this setup because of all the potential 
mini team-ups and pairings you could do within the League's cast. I think having Batman and Aquaman form a dynamic duo. And one that is angry at you. (laughs) It's very unusual, but I kind of love it. I think it's the the team-up that you would find most intimidating. Because they may not be the most powerful, but the villains don't quite know what they're going to do. They're also, I think, maybe like the least forgiving members of the League. I think um, Superman, well, you know, he's Superman. You can expect to be treated fairly by him. Um, Kyle and Wally, they're younger. Uh, John is very measured. Uh, Wonder Woman is very wise. I think Batman and Aquaman, obviously they're not going to kill you because they're heroes, but they're probably going to hurt you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> they might break your legs yeah i think they're both cynics yeah means... i mean i think back to earth 2 and, and aquaman firing his harpoon through power ring <laughs> yeah and and quite rightly calling him a gutless coward yeah you know, that kind of like different levels of heroism where it's like look i'm a hero but you're a murderer you know yeah. i'm a hero but you just let loose a fifth dimensional demon. So if I have to like break a limb or two, I will. Yeah. You kind of yep. deserve that's, it. That's also the end of the issue. That's our to be concluded moment. But it does feel like a turning point. It feels like Triumph walking into an ambush set by Batman and Aquaman. Whoa, he's in trouble. It's also quite an unusual and I think very effective ending. Because yeah. like there's no dialogue, obviously. We don't see the two of them getting onto the watchtower, and the focus is all on triumph. And he, you know, he he's not he's not saying anything big and grand. He's just he's just laughing. It's not even a full laugh. It's just like a smug kind of ha, like a little yeah. ha. And and you know, he's about to get punched in his stupid face, which is remarkable. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the issue builds to the escalation, and maybe the natural cliffhanger would be. Quisp telling someone to kill themselves and looks having the world in his hands. But no, it's the moment where we think, ah, this is how it turns around for the JLA and, and how, how they're going to end up winning is is Batman and Aquaman punching things. Or also, I mean, what you could have done is the previous panel, so which is Triumph, Ray and Gypsy kind of walking towards us, that yeah. you know, could have been the end. It could literally have been like, oh, it's the, the dark alternate league are coming to save the day. But no. Quite understatedly, we just get a shot through a doorway. You know, it's like, it's dramatic irony. I should also say, in the DC Encyclopedia, which I own a copy of, uh, Mm. the edition that came out in, God, what, 2004 or something, uh, on the previous page, um, the shot of Triumph and uh, Ray and Gypsy walking towards us, that's the shot of Triumph they use in the Encyclopedia. Oh, okay. Because I guess kind of no one cared enough to think about his previous costume. Well, his previous costume was rubbish. I mean, Triumph's just a bit rubbish, isn't he? But that you know, that's what this story is about, isn't it? <laughs> but his hair's pretty cool, PJ. It's not cool. It's stupid. Um, but hey, uh, that is the end of the end of the issue, as we said, PJ. And uh, what the hell do you think? Oh, I I love it. I, I love it so much. Bringing in Batman and Aquaman when they do the reveal of Quisp as the ultimate bad guy who's now a bad guy because he's just decided to be because Aquaman's a grim good guy now. 
all the fifth dimension stuff with Captain Marvel and Green Lantern is is superb. And yeah, it's brilliant. It's really, really good. I I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's it's uh in many ways, like it's a, it's a, just a continuation of the previous issue. You know, they they flow very well into one another. Yeah. But every bit is so good. And like when I'm reading this as like a as a as a whole trade in one go, I kind of miss where the chapter breaks are because it, it just the whole thing just flows so perfectly as one continuous story. But yeah, yeah. like it's a great issue. Like it's a hell of a lot happens, and it's very hard to fault the pacing. It's it's lovely. Same, and to the point where before we revisited this story, I'd half convinced myself that they hadn't really put the chapter breaks in and we had to guess where they were because I've never sat down and read it an issue at a time. (laughs) And I just remember it as one thing. But reading it is one of those really good stories, really effectively done because reading it as four separate issues, the pacing is great, but reading it as one story, the pacing's still great. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, and and it's interesting that I think in the hands of pretty pretty much anyone else, I would say that this would come across as very disjointed, you know, like uh, or tonally inconsistent because we're jumping from like uh, you know some pretty grim stuff with triumph and like a real sense of menace to to the insane stuff, wacky stuff in the fifth dimension. And yet, at this point, we're conditioned so well by Morrison to accept kind of just the impossible that, like, yeah, I, I totally, I can totally buy it. I can totally buy that one minute we're watching, like, um, 2D paper dolls kind of navigate the fifth dimensional world. And then the next minute, Batman is just this gothic nightmare standing on the on, <laughs> yeah. a, on a pier. Like, it, it's just glorious. Like, every bit of it. I, I, I really love it. I can't... I. I I really rate it. It's so fun. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, it's superb. And I'm so excited for the next issue as well, the final part of it. This oh, I'm flicking through it now. There's some really good stuff coming. <laughs> I'd always enjoyed the story, but I think kind of like going over it slowly as we're do- we're doing here. I it is making me appreciate it even more, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there are levels to it I don't think I'd appreciated when I'd read it before and yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, but I've, I've felt this about a lot of the comics we've read for this podcast. That going through them in this way, picking them apart the way we do, the fact that we're going into them as granularly as we are, and they're still holding up as much as they do, and we're still enjoying them as much as we, as we do, if not getting more enjoyment out of them, I think is is a true testament to how good they are. But this is very much like this is Morrison having fun. Yeah. You know, I don't know how fun, let's be honest, I don't know how fun it was for the art team. I imagine it was probably a massive pain <laughs> in the ass having to draw some of this stuff. But like, you can say you you can say to yourself, oh, it, it's really unrealistic and silly that the fifth dimension looks like an old cartoon. Why, do, why is it not like some kind of cosmic uh, ethereal realm? But also like, it's for fifth bloody dimension no one knows what it looks like no one knows how a human brain could interpret it Wh- like why not like yeah. why why not make it silly why not make it uh, a little ridiculous it's fun yeah i'm so really i'm is. so glad they went that way me too me too and- um what was i was gonna say do 
I don't know. Like I, I really feel we've poured over this quite intensely. I, I'm quite, I'm quite tempted now to try and Google Quisp to see if there are any images online of the original Quisp. There are, there are. If you, if you Google Quisp with, uh, I think Quisp Aquaman is what I googled, and it took me then linked me to his DC wiki entry, and you sort of see a picture of what Quisp looked like. Uh, I think he even appeared in the Super Friends cartoon as well. Oh wow. Um, yeah, if you go to queer, there we go with with yeah green hair and pointed ears and a little yellow tunic. I'm 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 doing it now actually. I have very um I'm gonna guess they kind of keep the um oh um kind of Peter Pan looking yes. vibe. Yeah, definitely. Here we go, Quisp Aquaman. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, God, wow, that is a deep, deep, deep cut from. From Morrison there. In fact, if if I go to the image search, I can see um, the Porter Quisp and the original Quisp on the same page, and it's not a huge leap. No, I wonder if a different character. I wonder if a different creative team has ever done anything with with Quisp beyond this. I'm not sure. I was trying to read the wiki, and I couldn't find anything after that. Uh... Oh no, he does. I think actually he did reappear in JSA. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's it. I, as we said before, I guess the JSA series very much came after this, didn't it? With yeah, yeah. So it looks like there was like a sequel story to this in the pages of JSA. Yeah, that was spearheaded by Jeff Johns, wasn't it? The, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, can we tie? The resurgence in popularity of the JSA to this storyline? Yes. Oh, wow. I mean, I don't know if that's factually accurate, but we're going to do it. <laughs> I mean, it seems right, doesn't it? It seems yeah. correct. Yeah. The um, It's, it's funny the things from this storyline which kind of stuck with me. Because I used to kind of come up with superheroes when I was when I was younger, when I was a teenager. I mean, and we all longest, did that. Well, indeed. And there was a time where I would draw them. You know, I really do not consider myself an artist at all, but I used to enjoy drawing and I would spend ages kind of drawing like a kind of perfectly uh, like the Truvian man reference model of a superhero, knowing that, of course, I can't do perspective or different camera angles. And I would um, I would ink them. So I'd go over the lines of my pencil, <laughs> I'd rub the pencil lines out and I would I would I would spent hours colouring them in with like a this this one particular pack of crayons I'd get from WH Smiths. <laughs> and all I remember is like I had this one guy who could like had a ton of like pink energy like crackling off him. And yeah, I basically learnt to shade the colours, however badly, by copying the genies from this storyline. Okay. And yeah, I'm just thinking it's funny how I'm just looking at them now and I'm getting this powerful burst of nostalgia of just spending hours upon hours just quietly colouring in the superheroes I'd drawn and ripping off as much as I could from this comic. <laughs> hey, why not? Rip off the best. Oh, yeah. I got, I'm, I'm actually thinking about it now. Like the whole comeback of Batman and Aquaman, mm. I, I think I'm, I'm kind of coming to the realisation that like I'm almost directly going to reference that in the finale of After I Think, as and when I, I ever get there. <laughs> oh, you better use Batman and Aquaman. Um, 
I'm sure they'll have lapsed into the public domain by then. Exactly. Exactly. I have, I, I'm sure. I'm sure DC will finally <laughs> will finally relinquish their grip they'll, on Batman. They'll let that happen. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Just ask nicely. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. No, they're, they're very easy and uh, easy going about that sort of thing. <laughs> but Peter, have we? I mean, is there anything left to say? Have we? Have we really? Have we? Have we said it all? I think so. I think so. Other than you know, roll on part four. Yeah. No, I mean it's just it's just more of a very good thing, and I'm I'm excited. Although I guess also you know, understandably a little sad because we are we're very we're getting very near to the end now of this all. Yeah, how many how many issues is World War Three? I want to say seven, including the prologue issue. It is one. Yeah, if we count and if we count a weird little Spectre storyline as well. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, so okay. seven parts to World War Three, and uh, that weird little standalone story by J.M. DeMatteis. But that means that we've actually only got eight issues of JLA written by Morrison left to cover. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because we finished Crisis Times 5, and then we've got the two fill-in issues by Mark Wade and Devin Grayson. And then oh, it's God, straight we... into World War Three, and the, as you say, the Spectre issue. Jesus, yeah, when you say it like that, PJ, flipping egg. <laughs> it's all downhill. I mean, and I'd, I'd, I'd lost track of the fact that we'd moved into 1999 somehow. Yeah, true. We're you know. six months in. <laughs> Jeez, and it's all going to be over in May 2000. Wow. Oh, my God. That's weird, isn't it? I'm going to go have a cry, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is it, PJ. Like, this 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 brief, beautiful window of time. Like, it was over, it was over so soon. Yeah, and Crisis Times 5 is, is definitely the biggest story before world war three and it feels like there's a very short gap then between the two really and given that we're about you know when this storyline's over we go into uh, a couple of filler issues with with mark wade devin grayson then of course we have that really weird one-off story uh by sorry you is it jm de mateus or d yeah de mateus i but i think and I, I really like that little standalone story, but it's quite a weird little insertion, like where it falls. Do you think... It's, yeah, it's only in there because that's when Day of Judgment happened, the big crossover they did for that, that year. Well, is it anything to do with... Do you think, like, because we're about to go... There's a few filler issues. Do you think it's because... Do you think Morrison and Porter needed, like... I don't want to say a rest, but almost needed, like, a bit of build-up time to get ahead of, like, a massive storyline? Oh, for sure. Off the back of Crisis Times 5, which must have been, as as you said, a real pain for the art team. And quite frankly, probably took a lot out of, you know, a lot of work for Morrison to get their head around everything they were trying to do with the fifth dimension and all these different characters and probably a lot of research on Quisp. No, Morrison just knew about Quisp, didn't they? Uh, but yeah, so they probably needed the fill-in issues to make sure that then the, the final story world war three was going to be as good as it can be and i'm now thinking about things that happen in world war three and what we've got coming up and oh my god it's good i i well i mean i mean parting is such sweet sorrow isn't it because from the moment we started i've been thinking ahead to world war three the 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 first dc graphic novel i ever owned uh the first piece of morrison writing i ever owned and the first time I ever realised that comic books had like named writers, and who is this Morrison fellow? Mm. <laughs> you know, and 
the first time I, I suddenly discovered a writer I wanted to follow. You know, it it kind of realised I could write comics. It made me realise I, I could write comics and that some people did write weird comics. It <laughs> it was very, it was life-changing for me. Yeah. No, I think it's one of the, certainly one of the earliest ones I'm aware of where I knew who the writer was. Uh, it's around that time, definitely. And yeah, it's... It's been weird coming at it this way and how long it's taken us to get to World War Three comparatively. Because obviously, previously I just zoomed through the trades as quick as I could. Mm. So, But now we've got these dangling plot threads that are going to culminate in World War Three that have been building since we looked at New World Order and everything there and Midsummer's Nightmare and Rock of Ages, which feels so long ago now, but he's going to pay off in, in World War Three. I didn't have to wait that long when I was doing it originally, I don't think. It was just... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, what, the original series ran from uh, January 1997 to May 2000. So, what, that's three years and change. Yeah. Basically, we had we had tie-in issues, we had kind of bonus stories, uh, we had JLA Wildcats, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of pinnacle. Um, so what, like, yeah, the whole thing was over in like three years. Yeah. And That's crazy. It's taken us two years and a bit. When did we start recording? Well, we can work this out, can't we? We're on episode 50. This is episode 53 we're recording. So yeah, that's just over two years, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we had so many tangents within this. And we don't have any more now in between now and the end. But, you know, we had Midsummer's Nightmare. We covered Earth 2. DC 1 million took us way too long. <laughs> A lot longer than we expected. Yeah. Yeah. JLA Wildcats, the Wizard Specials. <laughs> We've looked so, at so much. And despite all that, we're still kind of going to do it with a little bit of time to spare. So in many yeah. ways, I don't, I, I don't want to you know, say anything that will later come back to haunt me, but in many ways, we're more efficient than Morrison. To be fair, we're doing it bi-weekly. They were doing it monthly. Yeah. Where's our, where's our accolades? You know, we're working hard. <laughs> it's quick. Someone give John some accolades or, or he'll get testy. Well... You know, when when the time comes for the inevitable, the inevitable Morrison Morrison interview, which is really just a matter of time. You, you know. need to think about reaching out if we're going to do that, John. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, how many other dedicated Morrison-themed podcasts are there? I haven't checked for fear that I'll find one more successful than ours. I don't know about more successful, but certainly better. <laughs> that has to be a better one. Um, but no, it, it would be, yeah, I, yeah. I, and even though we've talked about it a lot, we're always kind of talking ahead of ourselves. But like, it's not going to be the end of the show when we finish the series. There's so many things we want to touch upon. I mean, heck, JLA Avengers alone. Yeah, you know, that's going to keep us busy for a good while. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I feel like with that, we do need to cover it in, in four episodes, but there'll be bumper episodes. Oh, God, yeah. We're going to have to settle in for those. And, of course, we've got all the, we've got all the, the Morrison kind of like eph uh, ephemera. You know, the Morrison mop-up. The Morrison mop-up, yes. We're going to have to track down all these kind of like rogue JLA appearances. Yeah. Um, which I think is going to be quite fun, actually. 
Yeah, and then the other the other JLA ephemera that were released concurrently with the Morrison JLA series, but weren't written by Morrison. This is where we have to we're gonna have to split the show. We have to have like spin off shows where one one track we're just following the Morrison mop up. Like another track, it's like kind of JLA contemporary JLA stories. Another track is completely unconnected stuff like JLA Avengers, just because we want to. And then, of course, we got the the the, the Busick Perez Avengers run. Yeah, which I kind of I kind of want us to do. Bef- even bef- technically, we're a DC podcast, and I think we, everything else we've talked about doing afterwards is DC. But I feel like we could get away with covering the Busick Perez Avengers because it ran alongside the Morrison Porter JLA, and in its own way, I think was just as important and just as good. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it was one of like the three pillars of what of big of big modern superhero comics at that time. Like, what? It was Avengers, it was JLA, and it was, I don't know, kind of like the authority over yeah. Wildstorm, yeah. Yeah, and I, for me, it's, you know, Morrison and Porter is my favourite run on JLA. Busick Perez is my favourite ever run on Avengers. It just, and I love it. So, yeah, we, you know, we've got time to figure it all out, but there's lots of things we can do and will do when we have to say goodbye to Morrison's JLA. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think we're, we're going to have to start properly compiling a list, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we, we still have some time because I'm very, personally, very, very, very excited for, about World War Three, And it is a chunky story. Yes. Like, it's the longest single JLA storyline. Yeah. Excluding yeah. One Million, which doesn't c- kind of count because it's a bit no. weird. Yeah. All the times and stuff. But yeah, very excited, particularly to talk about... Yeah, like the impact some of those moments had on me the first time around because they kind of seared into my brain, basically. <laughs> yeah, there's a few in mine as well that just just live rent free there. A Superman moment in particular, I can think oh, of. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> but on that note, PJ, is is there um, is there anything else to kind of touch upon? Anything, uh, anything you'd like to say? Nah. Nah. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> um, I would say that I'm still. Chipping away on the after I think ten year celebrations. Um, out of God, what is it? Uh, three hundred and seventy six pages in the Book of Life and four hundred and forty eight pages in the Book of Death. Ooh. We are down to just twelve pages overall. Oh, that's exciting to, to complete. So yeah, we are uh, just twelve letters that need to be finished relettering. So that's keeping us busy. Uh, if you are interested in keeping track of that, there are some details in the description of this episode. Um, PJ, do you want do, do, do you want to do a plug for some of your other projects? I mean, the only other one I've really got at the moment is Measure of a Fan, which I've plugged a few times recently. So, you know, it's my other podcast. It's my Star Trek podcast. Check it out. That's all I'm giving you today. <laughs> I do think, did, I, did we put a link in the... Yes, yes, there is a link. There's a link to measure of the measure of a fan. There's a link yeah, in yeah, the pod yeah. in the in the podcast description. Um, well, if we have exhausted this avenue of pleasure, I guess I should say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork, and to Elliot Red for composing and performing our theme tune, Justice. And PJ, if we have finally, finally exhausted this episode, uh, could you please do the honors and see us off in your own unique fashion? 
John doesn't know it, but I'm stood just outside his door with a man with a hook for a hand waiting to ambush him.